Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be looking at actually a number of passages this morning. This is just being the, the first one, really. How many of you have ever had a bad day? Anybody? I mean, a bad day. You're just wondering, oh God, when is this get day going to stop? It, it's been that bad. I want to read just a few things to you. You know it's a bad day when you turn on the morning news and it's showing emergency routes out of town. The sun comes up in the west. You know it's a bad day when your boss tells you not to bother taking off your coat. You jump out of bed, and you miss the floor. The bird singing outside your bedroom window is a buzzard. Mm. You wake up, and your dentures are locked together. I do not struggle with that, and I am so grateful, but... Your cat, your excuse me, your car's horn gets stuck while you're following a group of hell's angels. <laughs> you know it's a bad day when you put both contact lenses in the same eye. <clears throat> you call work to pick up your messages and are told it's none of your business. Your tax return check bounces. You know it's a bad day when you step on, step on the scale and all it says is tilt. Or you know it's a bad day when you call the suicide prevention and they put you on hold. Oh my. You know, <laughs> honestly, we all have bad days. Uh, days, that is, that don't go exactly the way we want them to. But we think about, but if we think about it, just because a day doesn't go the way we want it to doesn't necessarily make it a bad day. So here's the question. The real question then becomes, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? When you're facing a bad day, when it just seems everything is going wrong, how do you deal with that? Now, this actually, so I've been told, is a list of activities, <laughs> excuse me, a list of activities that comes to us from the Southern California Medical Association <clears throat> And it talks about the number of calories each of these activities burn, okay? Activity, beating around the bush, takes up 75 calories. How about that? Jogging your memory, 125 calories. Jumping to conclusions, 100 calories. Climbing the wall, that's 150. Swallowing your pride, that's another 150 calories. Passing the buck. Sorry, that's only 25. Beating your own drum, 100 calories. Throwing your weight around, 150 calories. Turning the other cheek, 75. Dragging your heels, 100. And last but not least, throwing in the towel, one, excuse me, 200 calories. Now, the truth is, Many times when we're facing difficult struggles, that last one, that's exactly how we want to respond, isn't it? That's our attitude. We just want to throw in the towel. Well, if you do, it's 200 calories. But that's our attitude sometimes when we're facing that bad day. We just want to throw it in. We want to, we, we want to crawl under a rock, whatever we can do to get away from this bad day that only seems to be getting worse and worse. Well, I want to talk about that this morning. Because the truth is we all want to throw in the towel at one time or another. But let me just say, giving up is not the answer. We can ask ourselves the question, why work so hard 
when, there's no, when there doesn't seem to be a return? Why sacrifice so much? The operative word this morning that we're going to be looking at is this concept of perseverance. Now, remember, we've been going through this sermon series, The Battle for Peace, and the, the premise is, if you really want peace, then conflict comes first. A battle must be won. And we have seen this in numerous places in in Scripture. The problem, though, is when you are battle-weary, not just a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, some of us would even say, yes, a bad year, and we want to throw in the towel. And it's so hard to persevere. Going through this day-to-day grind in this battle, if you will, we start asking the question, why? Why? Now, I have heard that even in the business realm, they say that a successful entrepreneur, however you even want to define that, a successful entrepreneur starts on average 3.8 businesses. Don't ask me what happened to that 0.8 business, I don't know. But they start on average 3.8 businesses before they start that business that succeeds. Now, I'm a little bit amazed that even out in the world, they understand this concept of perseverance. And that even those who don't know Christ grasp this principle, and it is a very biblical principle, but they grasp hold of it, and they managed managed to succeed. Some say that success is 20% skills and knowledge and 80% perseverance. So my question is, if they can, at least many out in the world can get this right, by all means, what about Jesus' church? What about Jesus' church in which this is, a, this is a, a, a basic truth in his word that as we un- understand it, as we walk in it, we have the opportunity to walk in success. And I would venture to say that all of us desire some measure of success, but it can seem so elusive sometimes, like oil through the fingers, and it's hard to persevere. My challenge to us this morning, church, is we need to learn to fight with perseverance and tenacity. How many of you remember, and I'm going to date myself with this one, but there was an advertisement, I believe it was back in the 80s, and it says, and it was an advertisement for Weebles. Do you know what a Weeble is? Anybody know what a Weeble is? How does, that, how does the slogan go? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. All right? And the concept is this toy is so weighted on the bottom that like a punching bag, if you knock it over, it comes back up. And so Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Now, I'm, I'm going to be careful. This is a little bit corny, but, you know, God wants us to be like that, though we may weeble or wobble, we don't fall down. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, if a righteous man falters seven times, he will rise again. It says in Proverbs 24, 10, just Seven or six verses earlier, it says this, though. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? So I'm going to ask you this morning, is your faith faltering? Is it wobbling? Are you finding it difficult to persevere in the face of overwhelming obstacles? And it's fair enough to ask this question. Why can't I seem 
to succeed? And I'm not going to answer that question in its entirety today. There's a number of answers to that question. Why can't I seem to succeed? Number one, you may have misdefined success. Success according to your standards or the world's standards, but not God's standards. So maybe there's a definition problem here. Maybe your goals are not God's goals. There's too much of you in your dreams. When you dream, when you daydream, when you're thinking about your future, how much of you is there in that? How much me and, and honor and people honoring me and saying, wow, about you? You know, that type of stuff God is wanting to extract from our dreams. Maybe he is needing to pull that out. It's a weed. Maybe God is using these difficulties, closed door after closed door after closed door, bad day after bad day, and he's redirecting you. And, and no, I'm not talking about, you know, <laughs> I remember some of, some of you share this right now, but I remember as a kid or, or, or as a, a young parent, my kids just not wanting to obey or my kids, you know, just fussy, fussy, fussy. And redirection does not mean, okay, we're, we're getting rid of you and we're going to go with some other kids, all right? That's not the type of redirection or, you know what, spouse, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this. God's redirecting me. I'm not talking about that either. Maybe God is redirecting you in something different. Perhaps it's incorrect timing, and God is needing to say no for right now. And sometimes that no, when it gets protracted, that can be really hard, very hard. I want to touch on today's topic. I'm actually going to entitle it A Forgotten Fury. So if you're on the back of your bulletin, sermon notes, entitled it, entitle it A Forgotten Fury. What is God forming in you as you are wobbling? As you're trying again and again and again, are you wearied or are you warfare ready? Are you wanting to give up or charge ahead with greater spiritual fury? Now, I could say fervor, spiritual fervor. We find that in, in Romans 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that is hard. Many of us feel like Rocky in the 15th round. You know what I'm talking about? Your, you, your head hits that canvas one time and you are just, oh, the canvas is feeling a whole lot better than standing up on your feet. Are you with me, church? And you can feel like Rocky in the 15th round. Now, I know what happens to Rocky, at least in the second movie, and uh, that's awesome. But we can feel that way in our walk with Christ. But I'm choosing a different word today, and I'm going to need to spend some time in explaining so that we can get this concept of spiritual fury. Now, I realize that for some of us, uh, fury doesn't settle well with us. But the truth is, for some of us, and I include myself in this, when we get only a little pushback from the enemy and become battle-weary, we feel this need to step back from battle formation. You see, that's the example that we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You remember the story of David and Goliath? And there, before David even arrives, Goliath steps up 
from his battle formation into this valley and he is charging the Israelites to send out their champion and he is breathing threats. And he says here in verse 11, it's 1 Samuel 17, 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed and terrified. Saul and all of his army dismayed and terrified. I tell you what, if a leader begins to fear, you can assume that the rest of the army is going to be afraid. And it says over there in verse 24, look with me if you will, it says, when the, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. The fear started in their leader. It spread like wildfire amongst the, the army, the Israelites, and they too ran for their lives. They stepped back from battle formation. But how did David respond? David eventually heard the threats of Goliath because he came out day after day. And while David is there, he's on an errand from, from his father with some food for his three older brothers. The, I would venture to say that David, though he was uh, of age to be in the military, which would be 20 years old, he was not, his three older oldest brothers were, he was taking care of the sheep and, and whatnot. I would venture to say he was also uh, Saul's harpist. We learned that from the previous chapter and Saul's armor bearer in training. You can only imagine David as an armor bearer of King Saul. Wow, the dreams that he had. But now Goliath is standing up and everyone in the army is stepping back from battle formation, running from battle formation from the front line because they don't want to fight this guy. But how does David respond? He tells us, the scripture tells us in verse 26, David asked the men standing near him. He said, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, we should def that he should defy the armies of the living God? What a contrast to how the army of Israel is responding in this situation. It said back there in, what is it, verse uh, 11, that they were dismayed and terrified. So I decided to look this word up. I wanted to, you know, I wanted another word for dismayed, kind of help flesh it out. Here's what I found. In the NIV, it translates it dismayed. In the New American Standard, it translates it dismayed. In the King James Version, it translates it dismayed. In the revised, uh, revised standard version, it translates it dismayed. Yes, it does. So I'm going to go with this word dismayed. It's probably a good one. But what you find is that dismayed means to lack courage. It means to be bereft of courage. Many times, if you were to do a word study on this, you'll find that in Scripture, the Old Testament, it's coupled many times with being afraid. It's also coupled with having little strength and even being ashamed. Literally, it means to break down or be beaten down, robbed of courage. And may I add, feeling as if you were in a losing battle. This was what hallmarked the Israelite army. But for David, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now follow me over to verse 45. 
David convinces Saul, King Saul, that he's the man. He's the guy that Israel needs to fight against this nine and a half foot giant called Goliath. Saul looks at him. He's a young man, may not even been shaving. I don't know, but the truth, well, I guess they wouldn't want to shave back then anyway, the guys, but, you know, scraggly beard, a young man, and he wants to step in the gap as Israel's champion. Now, granted, he has a background. Yes, he's a musician, he's a harpist, but he also, as a shepherd, had to fight off the lion and the bear. Now, if you remember the story, and he refreshes our memory, not in verse 45, but several verses before to King Saul, he recounts this, and he tackled the lion and killed him with his bare hands. Anybody ever done that before? I'm sorry, but I wouldn't even attempt to do that. I would say... See you later, sheep. I would not risk my life. Like, but David felt compelled. I'm going to protect this sheep because he was committed to the sheep. Wow, that, that is commitment. Here's what you're going to find, church. You're going to find that your level of determination, your level of perseverance is directly related to your commitment. Did you hear me say that? So my question is, when you're feeling battle-weary, why persevere? Why continue on? If you're a dad trying to support your family and you just got fired, I tell you what, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to just wonder, ah, I worked so hard in this company, and they, they, they did not express any gratitude. Wow, they let me go? Look at all of I've done for them. Why am I, why even do this then? Why go out there and work so hard for this? The reason why you're going to do that, husbands, dads, is, is for this reason. Because you're committed to supporting your family. Because you love your family. That's why you do it. You'll take the bullet. You'll go dead. You'll do whatever you need to because there is commitment on your part in the kingdom of God. Why do you continue to persevere? Here's why. Because you understand what's at stake. You understand what you're committed to because Jesus himself was willing to lay down his life for you and you basically have responded in faith, I'm surrendered to you. In view of your mercies, I am a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. My life is yours, God. You, you, you paid the highest imaginable price, the sacrifice of your son Jesus, God himself dying to be raised again, but he gave the greatest sacrifice. Can I, can I not sacrifice as well in view of God's mercies can I not be a living sacrifice and so you're committed because of what God has done for you there's something in our hearts that moves us forward that wants to pursue Christ in view of what he has done for me so I'm committed to this so as a result I will persevere now I want you to imagine because I'm lighting on this word fury 
Maybe that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. I hope by the end it doesn't. But I want you to imagine David. He's convinced King Saul, at least from what we can tell, maybe it's just simply, I tried to dissuade you, buddy, but you know what? If this is really what you want to do, and suicide mission, then fine, just, just go do it. I don't know what was in Saul's heart, but Saul is a big dude, head and shoulders above everybody else. David, not so much so. And David is the one. In fact, he's the only one that was willing to be Israel's champion. Saul lets him go. Now he's facing Goliath, and Goliath begins to insult him. And how does David respond? Now, if David were kind of this wimpy kind of guy, skittish, afraid easily, and he meets this obstacle called Goliath, can you imagine how he would have said what he did in verse 45 and following if he were wimpy, cowering? Um, you, excuse me, excuse me, but, but you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but just so you know, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, and I hope that's okay. The God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied, this, this day the Lord will, handle, will hand you over to me, and, and I hope that's not offensive to you. And, and I'm going to strike you down, and if you'll allow me, cut off your head. I mean, really now, I mean, how would David really say this? David filled with godly fury, who is this Philistine? That he opposes the armies of the living God. This is what David would say. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the, ar the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will, handle, will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that there is not, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Take that. I added that, by the way. And it's as if he's stepping up to the line. Come on, bring it on. Everything you've got, I'm ready for you. There's a fury there. There's a, there's a determination. There is not this, so let's embrace this concept of tolerance. And let's just, let's be nice Christians now. And, you know, they disagree with us about the gospel. And, you know, if, if they want to run the government in an atheistic way, well, okay, who are we to defy that? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, church. It is not against people. It is against the demons that seek to run this world through people. And the more we understand this, the more you will allow God to rise up within your spirit a godly fury. This is the kind of thing that Jesus embraced when he spoke to the Pharisees. He was not nice to them. 
He called them whitewashed tombs, full of dead men's bones, blind guides of the blind. Twice, that if they should convert someone, they would make them twice the sons of hell that they are. Take that. Now, the reason what now don't go around doing that to people, okay? And just, you know, you don't want to hear about Jesus? Well, you whitewashed tomb. You, no, 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 no. Understand who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the religious leaders of his day that knew the word and should have known better. But they kept talking about the law. And if you just follow the law, as if there was life that would come from obeying some command in the Old Testament because they were under law and they were under this misunderstanding of the place of the law. And they had forgotten that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So all you've got to do, if you really want to be obedient to God and you really want to make it to heaven and you really want to be on the fast track in serving God, then you need to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Step onto the performance trap. Been there, done that? And so Jesus is very firm with them. <laughs> They're leading so many astray. They don't understand this concept of faith in God. And if they did, they would have recognized who was speaking to them. That's what Jesus said. But this was Jesus, the very Son of God. And so here, David has this fury. When Jesus walks into the temple just, a, just five days before he is crucified, there is a righteous indignation or a fury that takes hold of his spirit. And church, it says he picks up a whip and he chases them out of the temple area, the courtyard of the Gentiles. This is where the, even the Gentiles could come and pray. But what is it being used for? for these profiteers, for these people who are coming to exchange money because this, this was the Passover and Jews from many different nations would come with that nation's currency needing to exchange it for Palestinian currency to purchase sacrifices. And they took advantage of this so to make lots of money. And Jesus said, you've, this is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And he's furious with them. There's a place for this fury. And I am encouraging you, church, that place is when you are like Rocky in the 15th round, that there is something that rises up within you that says, Satan, I will not capitulate. I don't care how bad my day or my week or my month or my year or my life is. My life is a sacrifice for Christ and his kingdom. The problem, however, with the church today is that we don't understand this fury because we don't understand the proper place for anger. In all honesty, and this has been me in my past, either on the one side, anger, I, I would be defensive and prop up self as my anger controlled me. I fought with my siblings all the time, even though I knew Christ. Once I realized that that type of anger was inappropriate, I swung to the other side of the pendulum. And instead, I began to reject anger completely and choose to be very conciliatory, even 
when I needed to stand up adamantly against what was wrong. And I did not understand the place for this type of fury. Again, I'm going to suggest to you that if we're going to obtain peace, we must first fight the battle. Conflict always precedes peace. For Israel to obtain peace in their land, they first had to defeat the Philistines. For the church to win the lost, we must first raid the kingdom of darkness, which, is, which means war. Satan, trust me, he is not going to capitulate. He is going to fight back. But we cannot become battle-weary, church. We continue need to, pr to, to press in and press in. And every day wearing the full armor of God, we are in a battle. Whether we like it or not, this is a battle and it is for your life and for your family's life and for the church's life and for the life of the kingdom of God. This is a battle. It means war. And Satan, he does not play fair. He will push your buttons. He knows your buttons better than you do. He knows your buttons better than your spouse does. He knows you and he knows where he can push you so that you will want to give up. That's where he wants you. He wants you on the canvas, looking up at the lights as the referee begins to slap the mat. That's a scary place to be. Physically, at least in wrestling, I've been there. One of the most terrifying experiences. I remember in my wrestling days, I did well. And this guy pulled a move on me I'd never seen before. And there I was, immobilized. I couldn't move my arms or my legs. And I'm thinking, how did he do this? As I heard the ref begin to slap the mat, I was utterly humiliated. I got pinned. And I just, my dad had to speak encouragement into me as I just, why am I doing this? What a failure. The church needs to regain something of this godly fury that we need to possess in, his, in Christ's kingdom to win this battle. Satan, he has a strategy. It's to make us weary, dismayed, robbed of courage, and give up. I'm wondering if we love the TV and the RV more than the weight room and the waiting room. You see, in the weight room, spiritual muscle is built. In the waiting room, hope and great expectation is built. Now, because I wanted to be in the birthing room with my wife, I did not experience the waiting room, but some of us have, and there we are just twiddling our thumbs, wondering, how is the baby, how is my wife doing? And we're praying, and we're getting others to pray, and there's waiting, and there is a waiting room for the Christian in which we are praying, and we're going to talk about that next week, but there is a battle to be fought. The problem is we start longing for the TV and the RV. You know what I'm talking about more than the weight room and the waiting room. And this is tough. And this is hard. It is grueling. We need to learn again this fury, this perseverance, this commitment in spiritual warfare. Can I just say that as we are reaching the neighborhoods around us, 
it does not surprise me that as we go where they live, and not everybody in that community is unsaved. I'm not saying that. But when we start going where Satan lives, this is actually a biblical reference, by the way, in Revelation. But when we start going where Satan lives, you will stir up his fury. And he will fight back. And he will do everything he can to keep these people in his kingdom of darkness. There is a battle once we step onto his turf. You've seen the movies. When, whenever there is a, a, a rescue mission by SEALs or, or special troops, the rangers, army rangers, they, they go behind enemy lines and they're in stealth mode. To, when, if you're discovered, if that person is discovered, they get, they get killed immediately. It, when you step on enemy territory, it is war. And that's where we found ourselves. Every time we do a block party and people, we've, we've, I would venture to say we have shared the gospel, undiluted the gospel to at least 100 people there just in these last two outreaches. I want to tell you what, Satan's going to try to close their minds. During the week, problems come up. Oh, I'm just too busy. I can't go to church on Sunday mornings. There is a strategy, I believe, that God has for us. And I don't know about you, I've been seeking God and I've been crying out to him, God, we are in war for these families. We are in battle and we cannot capitulate. We can't throw in the towel. So God, what do you want us to do? We're ready for battle. I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my walk and as a pastor just feeling battle weary. And it took my wife or it took someone else to just say, Mike, come on, let's go. Come on, get up, let, let, let's go, fight, don't give up. And I want to say to you prophetically, this is where some of you are. You're on the canvas and I am saying, get up. I am saying, don't be battle weary. I am challenging you, be filled with a fury of God. That you would stand up and you wouldn't, you would put the gloves up and you would give the devil a KO and that you would fight to the end. And I want to tell you this that the end is not you being defeated. That is not the end. The end is Satan being defeated. The kingdom of darkness robbed of every member. That's my prayer. I want to see those people in the neighborhoods around us as we are reaching out to them, going door-to-door -door evangelizing, doing block parties, sharing Christ, sharing our testimonies with them, doing whatever we can to be able to reach them with Christ. And we're going we're gonna to talk some more about this. But let's not become battle-weary. We're, we're in a serious... It is for keeps, church. Now, maybe your battle isn't so much winning the lost. Your battle is more personal and what you're going through, temptations and struggles with sin, and you feel like you are on the canvas there. God did not bring you this far to leave you there. Let this fury rise up within you now, today, that you fight back. God gives us grace for our faith. That's what we just sang. He will give you grace to fight this battle. But if we give up,
We toss in the towel. If we walk away, God does not give grace to the proud. God did not, does not give grace to those who have given up and walked away from him. He gives grace to those who press in, to the humble, to those who realize, God, I am so weary beyond imagination. I truly can't do this. And I need your help. And I need your help. And as you crack that door, and maybe that's all you feel it is. I'm just, I, I just need to crack the door. God, I can't do this. Please help. The heart of God is to step into your situation and breathe hope and replace Take, replace the dismay with courage. Let him infuse that type of courage in you today. I think sometimes we have wrong expectations for life. I mean, how many of you, when you're listening to the TV, uh, a televangelist, their approach to the gospel, many times, not all the time, praise God, but many times is this. Do you want love, joy, peace, hope? Do you want success in life? Do you want to be wealthy and prosperous? Come to Jesus. Yeah, God, God can do all of that. He truly can. But my question is, what if he chooses not to? For some, that's not even in their theology. That is not even the way they think. No, God, it's as if God owes them. I'm promise, God is, God is going to do this, that, or the other, and he's going to give you promotions. But if you don't get it, it's probably because you just don't have enough faith. I'm sorry, I don't read that in my Bible. God has a plan for us. Paul himself said, whether I am hungry or well-fed, I will be content. So he experienced hunger. He experienced that uh, not having enough money at the end of his month. He experienced shipwreck three times. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians 11, when he wrote that, he had yet to experience the shipwreck that we read about in the end of Acts. So there were four shipwrecks. Once, he was a night and a day in the open sea. I'm sorry. I, deep water and darkness... Oh, I feel so uncomfortable with that. And, and there's this latent fear. I don't want to be, but I would hate that. I would be terrified of that. And I would say, God, I need your strength. I need despair of life. A night and a day in the open sea. That would be a terrifying experience. But God's grace was sufficient for him. Paul went through hard times. There were times, I'm sure, in which he wanted to throw the towel in, but he knew this. Just as I would tell you, you are God's chosen instrument. He rescued you for a reason. Not to bring you this far and leave you. But he is in the process of doing something in your life and shaping you and molding you for his good purposes. And I'm just going to give you a wake-up call. Life can be really hard sometimes. But church, we serve a God 
when we can't, and we feel in utter despair, dismayed, we serve a God that will come through for us. However he chooses, but he will come through for us. David, you can just see this fury in his voice as he brings back this charge to Goliath's accusations, false accusations. You look at Jehoshaphat. For Jehoshaphat, God just simply told him, place the singers at the front of the army. As I said, an ambush for the enemy. You'll not have to fight. You will see the deliverance of the Lord with your eyes that I will bring you. The battle is the Lord's. They did not have to fight at all. But then on the other hand, we have Joshua. And there were times in which he had to, by God's spirit, formulate elaborate battle strategies to ambush the enemy. And God birthed these things in him. There is always a cost to those types of battles. Israelites lost their lives as they sought to take the land, the promised land. It was cost. And I'm not saying that you're going to lose your life, though, if you choose to live for him. I'm going to tell you this. You may have to die for him. It is a possibility. Who knows what tomorrow holds for us? Who knows what religious freedoms may be taken away? But you know what? I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this even if it should take my life. You persevere, let me remind you, because of what you're committed to. That's what causes you to wake up in the morning and say, I am going forward with this. I am moving forward in God's kingdom. What are my marching orders, God? As I am sharing this with you, Maybe there's something in the back of your mind that's saying, you know what, all of this is just so very irrelevant to me. Yes, I go through hard times, you know, as far as reaching the communities, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm just not into that. And if you were to evaluate your life, you may find yourself coming down to this conclusion. I have never truly given my heart to Christ. And so as a result, it, it, this seems very irrelevant. Maybe you have said, you know what? I tried God and he didn't work. Have you ever heard people say that? Maybe that's been something that's come out of your mouth. I've tried God, but he didn't work. As if God is some garment that we try on and if we don't like it, if it doesn't fit, eh, you know what? I'm just going to discard it and try something different. And that's how people are with God. Oh, I tried God. He didn't work for me. But the truth is, it is not God that needs to fit us, but it is us who needs to fit God. And he calls us to repentance. He calls us to lay everything down and say, God, I will follow you no matter what. I'm not in this for me. I'm not even in this for my happiness that I just step on some of your toes. God doesn't promise us happiness, because happiness is an emotion as far as how I'm defining it right now. Happiness is an emotion. 
God does promise us joy. And there is such incredible joy when we're in, when we're in the center of his will. So as we fight this battle, maybe for some of you, you said, you know, I've tried God. and He didn't work. And I'm going to ask you, I'm sorry, but did you really try God? Because there's many in the world who will toe dip. I'm a toe dipper, to be honest with you. Before I jump into a pool, I want to feel just how cold or warm it is. And then when I jump in, I know what I'm going to expect. And if it's cold, there are times in which I want to wade out there. That never works, you know, because it takes like an entire hour just to get out into the cold water because you're shivering the whole time. And what we need sometimes is just a good push from behind right into that cold water. And then you come up out of the water screaming, but I tell you what, you get used to it real fast. I mean, anybody that's ever happened, you got pushed into the the deep end, the cold water, oh yeah. And the truth is, God is, is wanting to do something so very deep in us. The truth is, God is wanting to build resiliency in his people. And it's hard. And maybe you're still on the outside looking in and you need that push. It's going to be a good push, by the way, but you need that push to say, look, follow Jesus. And you're not going to be able to do that by summoning up some will of yours because this battle in the kingdom of God is very different than any physical battle. It is the only battle that the only way for you to win is by surrendering. That is a paradox in Christianity. We win by surrendering. That is not surrendering to the enemy, but surrendering to our captain-in-chief. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. I want us to see something here. There is a phrase... I'm going to give you the Hebrew phrasing and then translate it for you. It's actually found several times in the book of Joshua. It's found uh, actually in verse 9, 18, chapter 10, verse 25. It's found in Deuteronomy 31, three verses there, 6, 7, and 23. 1 Chronicles 22, 13, and many other places. And it is this, Chazak the Ematz. Chazak ve'amatz. It means be strong and courageous. It's like a war cry. And as they shout this war cry, they, they do it to encourage one another. Moses gave it to Joshua. Joshua challenged the people, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not give up. Persevere. So to you church today, I would say chazak the emat, the emats, persevere and never give up. In chapter six, excuse me, chapter one, verse six, that's what he says. Be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't have your courage robbed of you. Be strong. Stand firm. Be willing to fight in this battle. Never give up. 
And the only way you are ever going to do that is because you understand who you are committed to and why. I want us to look at one more passage, and that's in the book of Judges. I can remember when I was a, a young man and I was going through Sunday school and we would look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges is an interesting book. On the other hand, it's also a discouraging book because even though there are many battles, the, the reason why there were battles is because Israel kept turning away from the Lord. And in turning away from the Lord, God would raise up an enemy that would enslave them and they would be in bondage. And then the Jews would, after so much bondage and so many years, start crying out to God and they would start repenting of their sins and then God would bless them with a deliverer. And this cycle happened over and over and over in Israelite history. We read about it in the book of Judges. But what I was not aware of until I was older and I was studying the book of Judges excuse me, for myself, I came across this passage. Judges chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 1. And I was wondering, God, why would you allow these nations, these pockets of Canaanites and Perizzites and Hittites and Amorites to remain in the land? Why didn't you just get rid of them? And in part, it's because the Jews failed to fight them and persevere until they were ousted from the land. They eventually just gave up and said, okay, you can live here with us. But this is what, this is what God says in Judges 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Future generations. That generation after Joshua and on. Those generations. He did this only, and I want you to underline that word in your Bible. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not, who had, not had previous battle experience. Verse 4, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their forefathers through Moses. I believe God is allowing us in his kingdom to fight this battle. And it's a hard battle. It's a grueling battle. There are times in which we feel like throwing in the towel and he was saying, no, be strong and very courageous. Know the depth of my grace. Experience it. Some time ago I preached a sermon, a series of sermons entitled The Drama of God's Grace. And day after day, week after week, we find ourselves at the end of who we are, completely reliant upon God and his grace for strength to be able to even move on in the next day. And he purposely allows this drama of his grace to unfold, just like soap operas, if you will. You know, it just seems like one bad thing happens to it after another. And you're just wondering, wow, how is he going to get out of this? He always does, doesn't he, or she? Always gets out of it. That's a drama. God allows this drama of his grace in our lives to show that we can fully trust him. 
And when we fully trust him, God gives grace to the humble. Those who are truly surrendered to him as living sacrifices in view of God's mercies, humbled before him, he says, you're exactly where I want you to be now. Where's my grace? More than enough grace. All sufficient grace. Abounding to overflowing grace that God gives. But we have to fight. We cannot give up. This battle is our heritage. Psalm 149 actually says that fighting in God's kingdom is the glory of his saints. Taking up the double-edged sword, that's the glory of the saints. And he, he, he's, the first half is about praising God. The second half is about fighting in warfare with the double-edged sword. This is the glory of his saints. This is your glory. This is your heritage to fight in this battle and see God come through for you. You want to talk about someone battle-weary? Back in the 1800s, late 1800s, a man by the name of Adoniram Judson went to Burma. His goal was to reach the Buddhists. He spent seven years evangelizing in that little area. He began translating <coughs> excuse me, the Bible into their language. Seven years, not one convert. I, I, I want you to imagine... That was his life goal. God, I want to win people for you. And for seven years, can you imagine seven years? Just try to wrap your mind around that. No fruit, zero fruit, no one saved. That he would even perhaps say, okay, God, maybe I just missed you. Maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe... Maybe I'm just not called to this. Maybe I just wasn't cut out for it. Maybe there was just too much of me in this dream. And I am sure that God humbled Adoniram Judson. And for those seven years, God was doing something in his life and crafting and molding and shaping him into that man that he was hoping and, and, and moving him toward to become. And then finally, A young man by the name of Kuthenbu from a tribe outside the city, not a Buddhist, but a total pagan, worshiping his own gods, walked by as Adoniram Judson was singing. And it drew the man. And Adoniram Judson began to share the gospel with him. And Kuthenbu heard this story and there was such an incredible excitement that was birthed in his heart and he gave his heart to Christ and began to work for this man in the ministry and not too long after that uh, Adoniram Judson began to hear of this man's testimony and how many men he had killed and God had rescued him from that and forgiven him of his sins and then Cuthan Bue said, I, I need to know the, this, this book of yours. I need to know it. I want to preach it. I want to go in. I want to go back to my people. And I want to tell them about this Jesus. And he, he, he was so excited. And he began, Jadoniah Judson began to learn that there were 
actually prophecies given amongst his people that they had had for thousands of years. And as, as Adoniram Judson is trying to figure this all out, a white man would come to them with the, with the word of God and that they needed to respond to it. Now, the testimony is so much longer that I'm giving you here. But Cuthenview realized that he had that book this was God's word that he had promised to us. And Adoniram Judson could only figure it went all the way back to the Tower of Babel in which people groups were, were, were scattered and some isolated. And, and, and some of them, hundreds of thousands of them, and in this case, the Karain, that the oral word of God had found its way. And when you start comparing what they knew about the one true God with what Scripture reveals, it blows your mind. And they would regularly sing songs to Yahweh because they knew he was the one true God that had created them. But they had made a pact with the gnats, that is the de mountain demons, that if they would fight, that those demons would find a way for them to get through the mountains of India, that they would be able to settle down and they would, they would worship those demons for the rest of their lives. And their culture was enslaved to demons. I'm not making this up. You can read about it. But Cothan Bue went back to his people. And it wasn't just a few here and there that began to share Christ. After seven years of Adoniram Judson laboring in this place with not one convert, and at the end of that year is Cothan Bue, one man, hears the gospel. And as he began to preach it, Tens of thousands of the Karain started coming to Christ. The Lisu, another people group, began to hear about this. And the word of God began to spread and invade these cultures. And it's as if over hundreds of years and centuries, God had been preparing these people for this divine moment. Adonai Judson could have thrown the towel in. I must have missed God. Seven years of no fruit. Surely, I must be doing something wrong. I must have missed you, God, somewhere. But he chose not to give up, and he stayed there with purpose, with commitment, and he persevered. One man heard the gospel, the result of which was tens of thousands got saved and were baptized. And God totally revolutionized that area in India, in India. Burma. I want to encourage you this morning that if today you find yourself that you are battle weary and you're feeling like you're at the end and just wondering, God, what is this all about anyway? And you've heard the words of the truth of God's word. I'm going to encourage you, let the spirit of God rise up within you. Face the enemy today. Don't hold back. Don't allow Satan to get in there and continue to speak lies. Don't believe those lies. Goliath said to David, he said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks, boy? Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And I tell you what, Goliath could do it. 
How are you going to respond? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin? You really think that's enough? What do you got, Satan? I come against you not in my own strength, not in my own skills, not in my own knowledge. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the, the God of the armies of his church whom you are defying, devil. This day, the Lord will hand you over. We will strike you down and we will crush your head. Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. So church, rise up. Stand firmly planted, ready for battle. Let God infuse you with faith with, by his grace. Let him encourage you today. Don't be dismayed. Take your eyes off of this bad day or bad year that you've been experienced and set your focus on him and what he's accomplished for you. He has great things in store for you. Do you believe that, church? He does. Because you are his chosen instrument that he chose and elect before the foundations of this earth. Can you stand with me? Maybe we could bring the lights down. Can we pray? Regardless of where you are at, just pour your heart out to God. If you are battle weary, let him be your strength today, right now.